favorite time of the week because wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. It's DLC time, and we're getting right down to the nitty-gritty. If you have not registered to vote yet, now is the time. Go to vote.org. Make your voice heard. Gamers need to be heard. This is very important if you're not in the United States. Don't let this election go by without having your voice heard. Vote, vote, vote. I keep vote, 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 whatever you want to do. <laughs> Vote.org is the place to be because geeks who speak are important. But it's time to talk video games because DLC is on the air and it is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way it's meant to be. Completely free and that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Mac Weldon. DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which you spell with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who always wins his debates, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Happy, uh, happy first recording of fall, right? A first DLC. Oh, yeah. Of... It's only 105 degrees where I am, so it definitely feels like fall. <laughs> well, I'm, you may be happy to know it's 104 where I am, so maybe, oh. move, maybe Put time to Put your sweater move. on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun, a fun day to record. Uh, we have some interesting news, some controversial news, some impactful news to talk through, but we got a lot of games to talk about as well. The good news is we have an awesome guest to hang out with us and talk about it. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week we're excited because once again, DLC stands for Direct from London, Cam. Because we've got video producer and one half of the Cam and Seb YouTube channel, our buddy from across the pond, Cam Robinson. Hey, Cam. Hey, how's it going, guys? Welcome back. Thank you long. very much. It is not 104 degrees here. It's like 70 something. I don't even understand your Fahrenheit. It's it's cold. Okay, it's cold <laughs> here. Autumn has come. All the leaves have fallen off the trees, and I'm in jumpers again. So that's wow. that's London life. Must be nice. Must be nice. No, no, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> Get me out of here. Uh, well, we'll help you escape with some with some video game talk. Uh, okay. Let's let's start the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Uh, I want to highlight a few fun threads that were happening in our Reddit this week. Great discussions of our talk last week about whether uh, the price of a game affects your rating of it, whether if you get it for free, that will affect uh, a rating of a game. A really couple of actually interesting threads with a, a big debate happening there. I thought that was really fun to read, and and I appreciate everybody talking about it. Uh, so check that out. Go to the subreddit. You can submit stories there and also meet cool folks. All right, Cam, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Ooh, well, I mean, there really is only one, and it's got to be it's got to be old Palmer Lucky mm-hmm. and everything that he's been doing. Yes. and it's perfect timing, isn't it? What with the election going on? Um, I'm really keen to see your take on this, guys, because um, well, maybe we should begin with a with a bit of a rundown. 
So, yes. and uh, do jump in and, and correct details because I've got kind of the oversight of it. So, if you want to, if you want to throw in the facts, <laughs> then I can just, sure. I can just paint a, a kind of brief picture. But basically, um, Palmer Lucky, who is of course uh, the, would you say inventor, designer of the Oculus Rift, founder? Um, I would go founder. founder. Okay, yeah. I've actually got a funny anecdote about Palmer, which I will, which I'll give at the end um, of this story. But, uh, but anyway, he's basically. Um, it's been revealed that he has been uh, funding, at least partly, um, a particular group who put out like uh, pro-Trump, anti-Clinton memes. Correct? Yes, uh, and um, you know I, we try to keep a clean show, but I think it's important to say that this this group uh, self-identifies as shit posters. <laughs> so that's that's not a term that is used to you know to kind of denigrate them. That's how they self-identify. Uh, and the reason they use that term is because uh, it's it's meant to paint with a very broad brush across the internet uh, vile kind of dark memes that will catch on and denigrate a political opponent. They're basically lovely people valued in society, right? Yes. Uh, so, uh, as you mentioned, Palmer is um, the uh, the founder of Oculus and sold his company to Facebook for $2 billion. I think he got about $700 million of that. And so he's got lots of money. And um, there was an article that was published in the Daily Beast uh, about how Palmer evidently is a big part of this this group and uh, to actively takes part and funds them and is uh, has an online handle and uh, has written, according to the Daily Beast, written some, I think, pretty terrible things. Uh, and uh, it comes off very uh, – if, if you believe that this is actually his online handle, um, which is, I guess, Nimble Rich Man, uh, comes off a pretty, a pretty horrible person. Uh, he came out with a statement after that article hit the internet saying that he is not actually that person, that he did, in fact, give $10,000 to this organization, but that the quotes that have been attributed to him are not him. So he is involved with them. He is admitted to being involved with them. He did apologize and say that his uh, actions should not reflect upon Oculus as a company or Facebook as a company. But uh, clear, and he also said he's uh, voting libertarian, which I don't understand why that. I don't know. That's an odd thing to throw in, in my opinion. But um, it's a complicated thing because uh, I think I think the most obvious part of this story is that this group is awful. I don't think that's really debatable. I mean, I think you can have different political opinions, and uh, I try to be respectful of people's political opinions, even if I do believe, honestly, that one of the candidates this year is stirring up really terrible things and, and behaving in a manner that I don't think is fitting of, of being a candidate from a major party. But you can have whatever political opinion you want. I don't believe that the methodology here is ethical. And I do believe that Palmer Lucky's funding of that, in my opinion, unethical behavior is very problematic and gives me pause as somebody who loves VR and has advocated for Oculus in the past. So let's start with you, Cam, and tell me, did you, this, how did this news land on you? What do you feel about it? Um, well, I mean, you know, I, I, may, I mainly agree with yourself. I mean, it, 
it's it's just hard to not be like oh, it's really disappointed you know it's one of these things it's like when you find out one of your favorite uh musicians is a scientologist and you're just like oh really you know but this is worse because this is something that's affecting the country in a huge way right now um but then i don't know maybe it's because i'm not i'm not an american that has some sort of effect because the wider political um space is a bit different but I, I know I kind of assume, maybe I'm just a cynical Brit, but I kind of assume that a lot of the people, you know, who run these companies or at the top of things are frequently going to hold political beliefs, which I really don't like. But that said, I don't know, I think you have to be careful um, to, to, you know, like, oh, we shouldn't support Oculus. And, oh, I mean, if he was actually funding, you know, like, I mean, I don't know the extent of this group and how exactly bad they are beyond your description just now. Um, and when I first heard about it, it was, you know, supporting Trump. And I'm like, oh, you know, lots of famous people are supporting Trump. And, you know, that's I think that's stupid that they are. But I don't think that means you should necessarily boycott boycott their products or if you're a developer working with Oculus. Like, I don't really know what that does that's effective. That makes any sense. I'm certainly not, a, apologi- I'm not an apologist. I'm not an apologist. I don't agree with any of the views that he's expressed, but I do think people should be able to have whatever political beliefs they want and still run a company, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think um, that's where, the, that's where the, the problem comes for me, I think, is that um, you know, just finding out someone supports Trump, I, it would make me lose a little respect for them just because I feel like if you're paying attention at all, you realize this man is wildly unfit for office. But that alone would not elicit the reaction that I'm having. And I, I think people conflate sort of just political stance. And, and it really angered me. I actually tweeted uh, several websites that published the headline, uh, you know, pro-Trump stance from Palmer Lucky, uh, you know, elicits boycott or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's what it's about. It's not about just the fact that he supports Trump. It's about the fact that he supports a specific methodology that is repugnant. And it, I mean, you know, Christian, you and I end this show very uh, purposefully every episode with the phrase, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. And it's something I know you and I believe in strongly. And I think that anybody any objective eye would look at what this nimble America group does and objectively, regardless of political stance, it's clear they make the world a worse place. And to have someone, uh, a 24 year old kid, honestly, uh, give money to that. It, it, it's pretty bad. In my opinion, it makes me feel bad for supporting the company that he's still a part of. I know you have very strong feelings about this too, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you, Christian. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, so uh, up front, I think it's clear from this show, and I will just say this quickly, and then dive into this. I will be voting for Hillary Clinton, and I think I I don't the email issue and all of her issues might be very real issues and problems. I don't know the facts of that. I don't think anyone does, except for her and a small handful of her close people. But if I just view Donald Trump based on the things that he has said from his mouth to camera out to millions of people, I think that Hillary is is more qualified than him. So, you know, you can dive into all of this other stuff and say, well, Hillary's just as bad. They're both just as bad. And I would argue that to me and my political and social beliefs, Trump's own words that I can find a million examples of say otherwise, whereas for Hillary to prove otherwise, 
it becomes a conspiracy theory, maybe a correctly proven conspiracy theory. But at this point, there is no evidence that I can look up myself and, and see these things. For this Nimble America and Palmer Lucky thing, um, I have not touched my Oculus since then. I ha- am, became very close to selling it for very cheaply, and I, th- I think I might be getting rid of it. I, my, my thought right now is to give Oculus or Facebook a little bit longer to maybe reply. I had received um, via an anonymous DM that they would be coming out with a response, and I should wait for that. And I, I waited, and I never saw anything. And then I hit that person up again. I was like, "What? where's this response? And they said, oh, did you read Palmer Lucky's response? Like, that was crafted by them. That was like, that. that is their response. And, you know, I, I figuratively threw up in my mouth at that moment. Like, that's that's Oculus's response? Like, that's that's the idea? There's so many inaccuracies in Palmer's response that I think it makes it worse. Like, I think what he did is repugnant, like you said. I think funding what is essentially a hate group, the way that they are acting right now is through the internet and memes and going for lulls or whatever, but... I think that's just as repugnant as anything else that has been done to breed hate um, over this country's short history. And there's been a lot of it, unfortunately. We are uh, a proud country in many ways and in a very embarrassed history in a lot of others. Um, and, and I think it's disgusting. And I think what he his response is is horrendous, where it's like, I gave them $10,000 and I thought they, you know, they could motivate the youth and they're doing creative things. Okay, you, you kind of liked... Um, uh, hate speech, cool, I guess that's cool. And then he goes on to somehow deflect to say, but hey, I'm not voting for Trump, I'm voting Libertarian, except that there's video of him at Trump rallies wearing Trump shirts and tweets of his and his girlfriends that are pro-Trump, that have some have been deleted and some have not. And well, it's just like that. I, I don't know. I, I a, feel like making it about whether he's well, no, no, no. voting for that's what is, I'm saying. is a little. That's yeah. not, it seems like a smokescreen. It's just like, and by the way, I'm doing this, but also that's not true. doesn't appear to be true. And then the whole idea that that's what this is about doesn't matter anyway. It's like it doesn't matter that that's who he is or is not voting for. What matters is that you're funding hate speech. I think that that's the, the pertinent point, right? Because – we get so tribal in this country, and I know we're going to get a lot of emails and I'll get a lot of tweets about this because we're not a political show. Uh, I, Christian and I are both political creatures, and we feel very strongly about things, and, and we use our voices to – you know, I use Twitter to talk about it. I use any – because I feel as a citizen it's my responsibility. But this show is not a political show, and uh, – <laughs> It's easy to get very tribal and say, well, it's our team versus your team. And because this guy is not voting for your team, that's why you hate him. And that is absolutely 100% not what this is about. And it's very important that people understand that the, the reason that there's an, uh, an outcry is because the methodology is what's the is problematic. It's, that's, that's the problem. And to have this young rich person give money to promote hate on the internet is stands against literally everything I believe in. And the, the, the issue that I kind of want this, this conversation to get to is I guess 
that age old discussion of separating art from artist, right? Do you still listen to Bill Cosby albums? Do you still watch Woody Allen movies? Do you, you know, these kinds of things that I think it is by his own admission, Palmer Lucky has done something that I consider to be awful, but he already has his money. Like me boycotting Oculus doesn't do anything. He's not, it's not going to hurt him in any way. It's only going to, prevent me from enjoying something that I can get a lot of joy out. He has nothing to do with the day-to-day running of the company. In fact, everything he's said in the last two months about Oculus has turned out to be wrong. So he doesn't even, under, he doesn't even know what's going on there. Uh, but I also feel like how much I proselytize for VR and for Oculus makes me feel guilty now because there's this weird like tacit but I, I think it's I think it's more than that. I mean, for me, the most insulting thing came from Jason Rubin, who is a, an individual I have spoke with very little over the years, but ha- from all accounts seems like a, a nice person and hardworking person and has been in the business for years. But when this all kind of came out, he came out with a series of three tweets. And the first one was, I wanted to give Palmer Lucky a chance to respond before I posted. He then linked to Palmer's response, and he says, knowing Palmer, I take him at his word. Uh, what What word is that? The word that he donated to a hate group? Like, that's not enough for you to condemn. He's like, and I take him at his word. I would not work in a place that I thought or condoned or spread hate. Well, you are, and you do. Nor would I remain silent if I saw it. You are, and you are doing exactly that right now. And then he says that he thinks that VR can bring people together. Sure, I agree with that. But the other thing of, like, I take him at his word. Great. So what what word is that? That he's racist and he has a history of tweets that, that bear out? And, and, and anyone right now can go through my Twitter history and find embarrassing things that I've tweeted. I am certain of it. And you can go through and listen to this show and find embarrassing things that I've said. But when you release an official statement the way Palmer Lucky did that's like, yes, I, I admit to giving this money to this hate group. And then Jason Rubin, who is someone who is intimately involved with the company right now, is like, hey, I take him at his word. He's cool. It's not a big deal. Did you not read the same word I read? And then Palmer denies that he's the the Reddit user or whatever, except that the Daily Beast uh, author who wrote the article has emails from him before the story broke where he confirms that he is that person. The yeah. whole thing is such a crap storm. And then to have no one from the company come out, like the best statement to come out is from Insomniac Games, and they just put out the boilerplate corporate statement where it's like, hey, we don't condone hate speech. You know, we believe that everyone's free to have their own beliefs or whatever. We don't condone hate speech. And that's kind of the end of the day. And that Oculus hasn't even really come out with something like that. Like their CEO did release a statement, but it also was just like, it was just, it's not hard to distance yourself from this. And the fact that they're not willing to do it while Palmer is still out there being the face of VR, that's the part that makes me sick about Oculus. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I was just going to okay. say, I think, I think you're I think you're absolutely right there, Christian, and that is really disappointing. Is the response, and what they should be removing him. I mean, he's already been removed quite a lot from the public eye, except for really big announcements. And something that, and this is again definitely not an excuse or an apology for the situation, but something that I can't help but wonder is how much of this is down to almost naivety. Because I mean, I I, I don't know Palmer Lucky. I've met him once, um, but. You know, and the way he's always portrayed, which you know, fit in with the how I, you know, the kind of impression I got of the guy when I met him. In fact, I actually it was way back Gamescom uh, four years ago or something, and I was there with Gamespot, and um, we went for a demo, and it was him and another guy from Oculus, and 
um, <clears throat> it was Palmer Lucky who came and fetched us, and I had no idea who he was. And I thought it, from his manner and his excitement, I, I figured he was like the intern and not, not like the guy who made this device. That is, was very much his, just, you know, his way of presenting himself. And I wonder how much of this is maybe naivety. He's got a lot of money. You know, he what ten thousand? What's ten thousand dollars to him? Like nothing, right? Well, and that's he, supposedly what he even said so, straight up. He's like, "Who cares about money? I got enough of it." Well, exactly. So I'm again not condoning, not apologizing, and this it doesn't change the fact of any things you guys said that it is important that he's supporting this group. But I do wonder how much of it, how much thought is that actually behind it i don't mean that to that's not another i'm not leveling that at him as an insult but i'm just wondering no i agree he's naive he's, his position know, might be and whether there's any thought behind it 24 year old kid you yeah. know uh who is wealthy beyond any measure of need <laughs> and so it, there's the kind of the rules don't apply and i think that's that's problematic and that's a part of our culture that bums me out is that you know but you're talking about the backlash, uh, several companies have uh, vowed to remove um, support for Oculus. Uh, you, you mentioned Insomniac's statement, which I thought was nice, but I think the best statement came actually from uh, Coco Romi, the, the, the um, designer of Super Hypercube, which was planning, is coming out on PlayStation VR, but they were planning Oculus support. They were retracting that. They said, um, in a political climate as fragile and horrifying as this one, we cannot tacitly endorse these actions by supporting Lucky or his platform. In light of this, we will not be pursuing Oculus support for Super Hypercube. And then they go on to say, if you are a voting citizen in the United States, please remember to register and make your voice heard this November 8th. Don't let bigotry, white supremacy, hate, and fear win. Which I think is bold and awesome of them to say, and I heartily uh, concur. Um, but again, I know we're going to get a lot of people upset because we're making this a political argument. I, I want to just sort of wrap this up by saying, what do we do? You know, (laughs) I feel an obligation to continue to cover the Oculus. Uh, I think it's an amazing piece of tech and I love the games that are on it and the designers that make it and the people that are actively designing the Oculus aren't Palmer Lucky. So there's a whole lot of people that um that are sort of collateral damage if you know if you uh take down this company but i do think i do think there's an argument to be to be made actually that palmer is a liability to the company over and above this like everything he said in the last 2 to 3 months has hurt the company from a pr perspective i mean he basically said we don't care what device you use to get in VR will, you know, be an open platform. And then they weren't, uh, you know, he's over and over and over the things he said have been PR disasters for them. So he's kind of, you know, if you wanted to make an argument for removing him from the company, you wouldn't have to just use this. There are lots of reasons why he has caused them massive problems. And so, and then this isn't the camel, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back for them to severely distance themselves from it. Like, I understand that, you know, you cover VR and you're passionate about VR, but like you're saying, he already isn't qualified to be the face of this company. Then he comes out with some repugnant stuff and they're still not pushing him as far away as possible, even if not privately. Um, publicly, you know, maybe he still, whatever, he still shows up the office and walks around barefoot and does his thing in his Hawaiian shirts, but like publicly, they're not pushing him as far away as possible. And you're just like, cool. I mean, I guess I'll still cover it because there's collateral and I don't want to, no, no, that is wrong. And I'm not talking to our listeners. I'm talking to you. That (sighs) is wrong. 
And I'm not going to let this blow over because it's been four days and and Trump said a million other hateful things and 15 people in our country have have died at the, you know, because of police or because of violence against police or because of a guy with a a rifle in a mall or because of a guy with a knife at a strip mall. I'm not, those things are all horrible too. I'm not going to get into them because this is a video game show, but this is video games. And to sweep this under the rug and kind of be like, well, you know, it's awful, but like, I love the tech. I'm not going to, no, no. Whether it's, you don't go to, uh, Urban Outfitters anymore when you learn with and people are like oh every major CEO does horrible blah, 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 blah. you know what when I personally speaking for myself when I find examples of those that do go against my personal beliefs I do stop supporting them and I don't think it's right for people to sit here and say well everyone does it what are you going to do not do anything well yeah or you find the best of the examples of the things that you can like at some point I need to you know get X product of some form or fashion let's say they're all made by uh <laughs> bigots and but then you find the least bigoted person that makes the product that you need to support that and, and this is about video games something that none of us need and if this can't be the thing where you stand up and say no until this company publicly puts this person away for being horrible for the company generally in my opinion and then also supporting hate speech and bigotry in a major way I feel like you have no horse to ride in on at the end of the show when you talk about making the world a better place. And I'm sorry that this came out like this. I love you, Jeff, but like, come on, dude, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that the important takeaway here for me because I know a lot of people are going to maybe have already turned off this episode, whatever, because uh, this election, uh, I don't want to pay attention. Uh, this isn't about politics. <laughs> this is about a level of civil human discourse that I believe in strongly. And the reason the show ends every week the way it does is because I'm trying so hard to recapture that and rally the troops that we, we can bring the world back to a, a civil place. We can, we can be good to each other. And th- what this story is about is somebody that is prominent in the video game space doing the exact opposite. And that's what's so hard. And I know you're challenging me right now, Christian, to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how this develops. But yeah, I'm not saying I, they do it now. You know, it doesn't need to be did it. like I'm a big fan of letting stories develop and not just having the, the tweet comes out and then we all turn our back on something or someone. And then a month later, we find out the truth. Like, I'm willing to wait for spotlight, you know, for this. I'm not saying we need to jump on everybody's throat right now. I'm giving my in the moment opinions and reactions but yes i I think let's give this time but i I think it's you know where i from what i've seen right now dude (laughs) because i I mean again we'll move on but the i i do think it's possible to still respect and enjoy a beautiful thing that a terrible person has made and i'm not saying that you know oculus is a beautiful thing but I do think there is some part of me that believes that separating art from artists is possible. 
and that we can that people are complicated and awful people can make great stuff and and can contribute positively to the world even as they're contributing negatively to it that my childhood was shaped by Bill Cosby's stand up and he is a repugnant human being complicated things are complicated it's shades of gray i think so i don't know the answer to this i don't know if palmer is currently receiving any paycheck at all from oculus or if all of his money is already out and he's in no way associated with him and getting no money at all but i think you know the bill cosby analogy would be if buying his album today helped him um rape four women like today like it continued to aid in the thing that he's doing Right, and I think that there's a difference there, and and yes, a lot. But, of, like, but me not, but me not ever buying another Oculus thing hurts Palmer like he's zero. Well, unless he's still receiving a paycheck from the company in any form or fashion, then it does not hurt him zero. And I also think being the founder of a company that fails because of your repugnant beliefs does not hurt a company or a person zero. I think that yeah. that is a big hurt, and I think it's unfortunate that there are probably people at Oculus that are wonderful human beings working very hard to make things that they think are awesome and i think that is horribly unfortunate but uh, you know the you know the band kept playing as the titanic went down right like i want to say i appreciate all the comments in the in the chat right now everybody's being uh, really cool and civil people are posting other uh, you know roman polanski orson scott card people who have said terrible or done terrible things and have created amazing works that i love um it's tough. And Cam, I, I hope, uh, I know this is a, a, not an atypical episode to be a part of, and I appreciate you bringing up the story. It is clearly the biggest story of the week, and I wanted to give it time. And there's been a big discussion in our subreddit about it, and I think people are talking. And, you know, because VR is such a big part of of what we talk about on this show and how much I love it, um, you know, it's a it's a big deal. And uh, well, well, sure. I mean, and regardless of whether you come, where you come down on the whether or not you should personally boycott oculus i think we can all agree the most important thing we can do is just to speak out about this when it happens and come down hard and say this is absolutely terrible and nobody should be supporting groups like this and i think that's the most valuable thing we can do is remind people as you do at the end of your show you know let's remind people what is important and how we should behave agreed all right, let's uh, let's get back to talking about some fun video game stuff. Christian, do you have a story of the week that uh, isn't this? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you guys know this, but the founder of Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, they all donated money to hate groups. So I just want to dive in <laughs> quickly on, yeah. on this. Turns um, out video games have been based on hate for 30 <laughs> years. We just didn't know. Um, the, actually, I, I did some research. The background about Pokemon, it actually was originally uh. called SS Mon, and it was just <laughs> this horrible... Um, uh, for me, I don't think it's actually here, but this is a personal story of the week. And um, so everybody knows I'm hyped for Forza Horizon 3, and I have it digitally, which means it comes, you know, play anywhere, and you can uh, play it on your PC, except it requires the Windows 10 anniversary update to run on PC. I don't know why. I don't know if this Windows Store um, game initiative by Microsoft is just kind of a Trojan horse to make sure that you have the latest operating system or whatever other stuff they're going to shove down your throat and their PC side of things. My suspicion is it is. Um, and, and my PC that is not, you know, it was a pre-built by uh, HP, and it seemed like a nice quality professional build. It had great reviews when I bought it. So I'm saying this isn't like a thing I strung together and a friend gave me a code for Windows and it's not updating. But when I go into auto update, 
it won't update to Windows 10 anniversary. Uh, wonderful people on Twitter have tried to help me out and send me links for things to do. I've tried those. It has not updated. And then I've been on several, or two, I should say, a couple, um, one support chat and one support call with Microsoft, which they, the, the representatives I spoke with were very kind and, and helpful or attempted to be helpful. And still, I, I gave up yesterday at 2 a.m. when it still would not, it has not updated to anniversary edition and so it's a personal play anywhere. Fresh- I'm sorry? Play anywhere. Right. Play yeah. anywhere. <laughs> play anywhere, as long as it's on your console or on <laughs> PC with the new OS. So my, my personal story of the week is um, Windows Gaming. Is it is it a thing? Is this going to be a thing? Or or is it just... It's called do- Steam, Christian. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. Uh, every couple of years, Microsoft plants a flag and it's like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. And then quantum break came out and it was kind of messed up and now like this is the first one of the big play anywhere titles right and like why why can't i run it on i'm, I'm running windows 10 it's not as if i'm on windows 7 still or something and why then do you that hate I can't anniversaries update. anniversaries are are <laughs> lovely things they're, they're wonderful they're wonderful wonderful things congratulations on yours which was recent as well oh, thank you. uh i don't know if you updated your firmware though to support it um, always that's the first <laughs> thing you do on your anniversary Honey, but, let's update our firmwares so cam i know you're an auto sports guy and jeff i know you're a pc guy um am i just out of my league here should i just stick to consoles and why did i buy this gaming pc like what did i get myself into <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not much help to you, man, because I've only recently got my hands on a gaming PC, um, and uh, I'm still figuring out how to turn a damn thing on. No, I mean, it, yeah, this is my experience with Windows gaming is is uh, similar, um, but I, I'm never so sure how much of that is down to just my ineptitude with Windows, because I've always used Mac and you know background in video and graphics and stuff. So um, I'm probably not the best person to help you with this one, Christian. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you, oh, you rebuilt a PC. What am I doing? I I did build a PC. Um, it has nothing to do with you. I mean, if this is, you know, if this is a um, uh, not a friction-free process, that's that's a that's a bad thing because the whole idea is, the whole idea here from Microsoft's perspective is to take people like yourself who are used to easy console experiences and to usher them effortlessly into the PC landscape and say, hey, guess what? There's, it's fun over here. Come on to this side of the fence. And if the fence has barbed wire on it, <laughs> and it hurts coming over the fence, uh, but it's like invisible barbed gonna... wire that I don't know how to remove. And their support, yeah. I, I think, at this point, it looks like I need to do a full, like I, I tried to do it. The last chat or support attempt was like to do a reinstall of Windows in a way that kept all my data on my computer, and that failed. So I'm thinking now I need to, I'm going to need to just, you know, nuke the thing. And, and I'm trying to think, like, what do I – like, it's pretty much just for gaming, my, my PC. But it's, like, what saves are on the cloud and Steam or, like, what saves am I losing? Like, what what am I possibly losing in this? Yeah. It's, it's scary. And then do I just accept that I won't be playing Forza at, you know uh, – I guess the PC version has some issues right now. But, like, the dream of playing 1440p, 60 frames per second, Forza Horizon 3, like, that's not worth it. I'll just play it on my Xbox One, and my PC's great for everything on Steam. Like, I, 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 it's frustrating. It is frustrating. In the chat, uh, Caboose's Hero says, I hope these kinks are worked out by Gears 4. I would rather play it on PC than Xbox One. Yeah. It doesn't seem like... It seems like every time one of these comes out, it's, it's like, well, it's it's crappy on the... What was the... Um, oh, my gosh. Quantum the, Break? Uh, Quantum Break. Yeah, yeah. the same, same problem. 
Uh, I have no solution for you, man. I just I I feel for you. Are you I'm on sorry. anniversary? Is there, are your updates working, or did you have you do you have yeah. problems with this stuff? I have not, but I I haven't tried to play Forza Horizon or, uh. or really any. Actually, that's not true. I did play Quantum Break a little bit on PC and and then abandoned that. Um, so, but I haven't really tried to to do any of this stuff. Uh, so I haven't really experienced these problems. But I just wish there was a flip you know, yeah. they could switch, where it's like, hey. Look, Christian, I, you've clearly tried very hard. We Forza really doesn't require anniversary. Like, that doesn't do anything. <laughs> Here's the game. Like, why does it require this? Why does yeah. it require I just well, want to play the game. That's the problem. That's Microsoft's boneheaded problem is, is, hey, play anywhere. If you have the current version and you're using the thing that we really want you to use. I mean, it's all about moving you into a space that they want you to be in rather than actually doing anything for your benefit. Yeah. Mm, but, it's frustrating. Uh, my story of the week uh, is a little more positive than the previous two. Uh, I think this is interesting. We, we talk about esports a fair amount on the show, uh, and we talk about it in the context of, of a- actual sports. And here's an actual conf- confluence of those two things that's happening in North America for the first time. The Philadelphia 76ers basketball team is becoming the first North American sports franchise to purchase an esports organization. They got both Team Dignitas and Apex Gaming, and they merged them and put them under their umbrella. They own them now. The Philadelphia 76ers own them. They'll still be uh, known as Team Dignitas, but um, you know the, their teams, their Counter-Strike team, their Overwatch team, their Heroes of the Storm team, their Smite team, and their League of Legends team will all be run by the same organization that runs a professional basketball team. So they will leverage their uh, marketing, uh, their their infrastructure. Their they talk about best practices in sponsorship, their branding and digital marketing arms. It's kind of a big deal. It's not unprecedented globally. There are um, there are uh, soccer clubs or football clubs, as Cam would call them, uh, in. Uh, that that have already done this, that have bought League of Legends teams. But this is the first time in North America that it's happened. And this is, I think, a seminal moment. I think this is a, a recognition that, you know, obviously these are on the same footing as a traditional sports team, but also that the same types of uh, marketing efforts can yield the same types of results. And these this, these can become a, you know, a major, uh, major brand that, that will – live on and have all kinds of you know branding and all kinds of cool stuff for us to get excited about uh what do you think about this cam yeah i'm surprised this hasn't happened sooner i mean there's just so much money in in league of legends in particular i mean um i got i went to worlds last year which was in berlin and it it was incredible like the the production value everything about it was insane incredibly impressive and um, I was chatting with a guy who used to own Deem Tignitas uh, originally. And he actually was so successful, he designed two teams. Um, and they both made it into the top league of uh, LCS, which is the, like, the top League of Legends league. And you're not allowed to have two teams in there, so he had to sell one. And I don't think it was ever disclosed how much it went for, but he, he made a lot. He made a lot of money off that. So I'm surprised that he made like sports... hate group support money. Yeah, he that, could support all of all of his favorite hate groups. So he would have been, <laughs> still have change left over. But just a, a word on Team Dignitas. I think the thing that really disappoints me about this story, and I don't know if you guys have this as well, but Dignitas over here in Europe is like attached to something very, very different. So um, and not to get all uh, depressing again, Uh-oh. but. Uh, 
Dignitas Clinic is a place, I think it's in Sweden, very famous for where people who have terrible uh, illnesses go to be helped to die. Oh, and it's, it's, just a, no it's the same name, but it's not actually associated, or is it? Oh, it's nothing to do with the, with the team, but it's just the same name. But that's existed long before the esports team. Oh, so I think to like anyone in Europe, Team Dignitas just means, oh, God, that's the assisted dying team. That's awful. So <laughs> they really should change their name. No, it's I really accurate, wish they would. They help the other team die, man. Oh, that's- God, there you go. <laughs> There's the dad joke. <laughs> um, but um, I think it's really cool, though. I, I like I'm a big fan of esports. Well, it's weird. I'm a big fan of esports as a thing. I don't watch a lot of the competitive esports, although I, I will watch Worlds, um, which is starting very soon in San Francisco. I think it is this year, um, mainly because Europe were pretty damn good last year. So I'm going to check out those teams. But other than that, I don't really watch it. But I love. I, th- I find it fascinating. Yeah, and I love that it's getting bigger and. It's it's breaking into like the consciousness of people like my parents and other generations who haven't grown up on the internet, and I think that's just really interesting. Totally, uh, Gaucho Cam in the chat room said uh, Shaquille O'Neal bought a team too. No, uh, he did, uh, and this is not um, the first time an individual uh, who's associated with sports has bought an esports team, but this is the first time that an actual organization in North America has done so, and I think that's a big difference. Shaquille clearly has resources to you know, support his team. But the infrastructure, I think, that's in place for the 76ers is much more intense than any individual, uh, you know, owner would have. Um, So I think it sky's the limit here. Um, Christian, I want to pitch it to you, but uh, I do have a, we got an email this week to dlcfeedback at gmail.com that is directly applicable. And so maybe I'll fold this in before I pitch it over to you. Uh, This was sent to us by Bernadette. She said, uh, hi, Jeff and Christian, weird, potentially stupid question for you guys. Not sure if you've talked about this or not, uh, but I'm curious, uh, as an eSports fan and not really a pro sports fan, I'm coming from uh, the, that headspace. I watch the uh, Overwatch Open, and it's just overwhelmingly sportsy, but so much so that it's honestly a little strange to me. Nonstop, don't take a breath commentary aside, the huge crazy set with the super desks, are obviously inspired by Monday Night Football. My question is why? Do you think it's intended to normalize esports and broaden the audience to people who love sports, yet mock esports? Or is it just the best way to do it? So, again, it could be a stupid question, but I mean it genuinely. Uh, There's just so many ways to do things, I'm wondering why they went with the Fox Sports route instead of defining their own look and style. So thanks for that email, Bernadette. What do you think about that, Christian? Do you think that um, maybe cross-pollinating real sports with esports is actually not a good thing that maybe we they need to have their own look and feel their own voice i think it's an excellent question i I mean i think the short answer is they've looked at what's successful and they aped it um for better or worse right it's called esports how are we going to cover this let's cover it the way we cover sports and tried and true right it's a tried and true method but I, I, you know, I think the email raises some interesting questions. Where, you know, could they have come up with something better? I, I think so. I think, you know, the inclusion of um, was it, uh, uh, gosh, come on, was it Heroes or League where you talked about the, the VR? Uh, oh, Dota. Spe- it's Dota. actually Dota. The Dota spectator mode, like, you know, I know that didn't exist when Dota became huge, but you know, like maybe moving into that, like, what if that was the only way to watch the esport of that? Like, how different would that make it? Would that hinder its mainstream appeal? Yeah, I think so because, you know, my mom and dad on the couch couldn't sit and watch it on, on ESPN or whatever when they're flipping through the channels. I'm like, oh, what's this? Let's give this a shot. But it would make it very unique and it could be 
the future thing. I think the short answer is, though, it's when you're creating something new and you're trying to legitimize it or get advertisers to buy into it, you go with something that's been done and been proven successful. And it, there's a reason why we have uh, Hawaii Five O, which has been a good relaunch of a TV show, but now Lethal Weapon, the series, um, <laughs> you know, the list goes on and on. Um, uh, gosh, I forget all the others that are based on 90s and early aughts movies that are now TV shows because the TV show you pitch used to be, it's like this and this meets this. Except now we've gone through enough of those, and it's just like, it's this. And <laughs> Remember think, that? It's that again. <laughs> it's that again. And I think that's the same thing for this. When you're trying to sell advertisers for TV coverage or whatever, it's like, hey, you know this very successful thing called sports broadcasting? We're going to be doing that. It's going to be live views, not time, time delayed. You're going to buy into it. These are the ad breaks we have. This is the sponsorship package we have available and advertisers, Kleenex brand is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here's a million dollars. Go, you know, run these ads. What do you think, Cam? Should should esports carve out its own look and feel, or is the fact that it feels like a sporting event a positive thing? Um, well, in terms of actually being at one, it, I think it's just a positive thing because the fans absolutely love it. And I've been to you know a number of sporting events both in the US and the UK and esports, and there are they are similar like esports and traditional sports. There is similarities. But there is a unique uniqueness. That's not a word, is it? Well, whatever. There is there is a uniqueness to it in the fact that because it is because League of Legends specifically is you know run by Riot, they do incredible fan service. Um, now I know there's lots of like hmm, you know there's reasons to doubt that it's a good thing that Riot have complete control over over how League of Legends runs and how it works. But the fan service they do is incredible. When we were watching um, the live event in Berlin, they during the like the hype before the game. They were, obviously, they do the usual things that all sports does of like, you know, beautifully shot, soft focused interviews with the players talking about their journey. And they've got all that good stuff to get you into the players. But they also do great fan service with uh, like YouTube videos that just random people have made with, you know, uh, famous songs, but with alternative League of Legends themed lyrics, which were just hilarious. And <laughs> I, I barely even know uh, a lot of the lore by League of Legends, but the fans absolutely loved it. So I think, I think it is. Um, unique in a way when you see it live. But also I think Chris nailed it. I think the, the reason behind it, the underlying reason, is that video games initially in esports was difficult to sell. You know, there right. were challenges. And I think if you if you say, hey guys, it's just sports, then that that's why they did it. I mean, I had a really interesting chat with um, one of the guys at the top uh, who works for Twitch who was talking about how they originally, you know, how it was his job to, to encourage advertisers to buy into this thing and he was saying that was the big reason why they why everything followed the traditional sports model. It's pretty cool. And again, we appreciate uh, Bernadette for sending that email. If you want to send an email to the show, you can always use uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting feedback about the show, and uh, answering your questions is always a great time, too. Um, Twitter is something to look at as well. It may be in- I do need to thank our sponsor, Mac Weldon. Perhaps you guys have noticed that I had a child very recently, just uh, three weeks ago today. In fact, uh, my son Jack was born, and uh, I didn't really talk too much about that experience. Maybe Christian can relate to this, but when you go to the hospital, it's kind of a whirlwind, and it takes multiple days, and I found myself in the same clothes three days later <laughs> that I was in uh, the moment that I drove to the hospital with my wife. And thank goodness I had my Mack Weldon boxers on 
because any other underpants would have been a catastrophe. Mack Weldon is what I want to be wearing when my wife gives birth. TM. <laughs> it's that is the that is the most comfortable pair of underpants i can wear them for multiple days they're antimicrobial which means they're not going to stink after multiple days listen nobody's advocating for you to wear the same pair of boxers for three days in a row but when your wife gets birth you're barely sleeping there's a tiny kid there you're up 17 hours in labor there's craziness is going on all around you you go to sleep in your jeans you wake up Two hours later, the nurses, it's chaos, chaos. But the thing I want closest to my genitals during chaos is my Mack Weldon underpants because they're comfy, they don't stink, and they're high quality. Mack Weldon believes in it. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. That's the best part is you go online and buy them. You don't have to go to a store and pick up underpants. Nobody enjoys that. There is no one who enjoys that. Don't go to the store and buy underpants. Just do it with a few clicks. All you got to do is go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Pick out your underpants of choice, or they have shirts, they have sweatpants, they got all the basic socks, really nice socks, actually. Uh, you don't have to just get boxers or briefs or boxer briefs. Uh, you can get socks or shirts or sock shirts. <laughs> um, and if you use our promo code when you check out, which is DLC, you get 20% off. So do that. You get 20% off your order, upgrade your basics, and uh, come out smelling nice, even if you have to stay in things for three days. All right, guys, let's get on to the playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week, Playlist is a part of the show where we talk about what we've been playing. Cam, what is on your playlist? Well, I was at um, uh, EGX this past weekend, which, if you're not familiar, is the UK's biggest kind of gaming show. It's it's more for people to come along, the public to come along and play. It's less of a trade show like E3. But what they did have is the global first hands-on with Dishonored 2. And Ooh. I had my hands on Dishonored 2. And awesome. it was it was a good time. Um, so, are you guys uh, fans of the original Dishonored? Very much so. I never finished it, but I'm a big fan of it. If that doesn't sound hypocritical enough, I'm super hyped for part two, knowing I never finished part one. Okay, well, um, part yeah, two. Some... You're excited to play seventy five percent of part two? <laughs> eh, probably fifty <laughs> percent. <laughs> well, I played all of thirty minutes, so we're not even near near, near there yet. But so basically, the. Um, the level I played was uh, a, a fairly early Emily Coldwyn level, I believe. Uh, it's the one that we've seen bits of in the trailers. Um, now, Jeff, did you play, did you have a behind closed doors hands-on with Dishonored 2? Or... I have one next week. Uh, and I wonder if it's going to be the same bit that they showed you, because uh, I have to, had to sign all kinds of stuff in order to do it. But I will be talking about it on next week's show. So I'm anxious okay. to see if it's the same bit you've played. But I have not had hands-on yet. Yeah, I'm just super busy, week. so I, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was given the choice between um, either playing as Corvo or Emily, and I thought, well, the whole last game is Corvo, so let, let's give Emily a spin. Right. And basically, try our new powers but um yeah so the level is the one that we've seen bits of in the trailer so we've seen the trailer with the kind of clockwork rooms where you flip the switch and the confirmation of the room changes all that good stuff it was based in that house that mansion really 
and you're trying to take out them, take out the the main guy who runs it, the designer, and also rescue someone from the past game. I maybe don't want to say who it is because I want to avoid spoilers um, for people who aren't going to get a chance to play it till it comes out. But I'll just talk a bit about the gameplay, really. Um, so yeah, I only played thirty minutes of it. That is not long enough to uh, <clears throat> excuse me, not long enough to complete the mission by any means. I did die quite a few times. I was a little rusty, but um, it it looks great. It's very much. Uh, I think we were playing it on a, on a PC build, I imagine. It looks very much uh, the same as the Sonic 1, just, uh, you know, shinier, uh, higher resolution, what you would expect. Um, and uh, the kind of powers that I had with Emily were the one you will have seen from if you watched any of the, the gameplay trailers or anything. It's the kind of tentacly, purple tentacly arm. I forget what it's actually called, but let's go with that. Purple tentacly arm grabby thing. I'm pretty and sure that's what it's called. Yes, and you can use that just like Blink from the last game, so to uh, to wish yourself from one position to another, um, and so you know to get to grab a ledge that's really high up or whatever it is. But you can also use it to grab enemies towards you, which is hilarious. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it, and I wasn't just fighting uh, human squishy human enemies. There was also actual like robots, the mechanical automatons that you've seen in the uh, in the trailer. So I think it was. I felt that there was uh, more of a focus on the level that I played on on combat. I, I doubt that's I doubt that is the the same across the entire game. I think it was just this particular mission. But you you were forced into well, not quite forced because they did have said you can complete the game without killing anything. But I did feel pushed more into actually fighting, um, which is not a, a bad thing because you always know with Dishonored that you can do the whole thing without killing anyone. Um, I realized I probably should have started with this if you've never played Dishonored. Basically what it is, is it's a first-person stealthy slash action game where you play a supernatural assassin, and it's awesome. And you have to kill bad guys. So, yeah. But you don't have to. But like, you Well, have okay, to. ah, that's true. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to. You have to neutralize, in inverted commas, uh, bad guys. And sometimes that means just, like, sending them off somewhere or hiding them in a, in a cupboard. I don't know. And there's always different ways. Um, but yeah, it, it seems my overall feeling when I put the controller down after 30 minutes was it's very similar. It is, it is an, up, it's an updated game. Like it's, it's, it's the same goodness we had in Dishonored a bit more. I'm sure there will be a lot of you know, nuanced differences as, you, as we kind of play more of the game when it comes out. Emily plays, you know, I felt similarly to Corvo. I, I didn't have all her abilities. One of the other ones I had was the Shadow Walk one, which looks awesome. I wasn't convinced how effective it was because it doesn't make you entirely invisible. It just makes you like this shadow creature which creeps along the floor. Um, but yeah, it my just... worry is that when you talked about specifically like, well, it kind of works like Blink does with Corvo. My worry is that it's just, it's basically the same skill set. It just looks different. Um, but I like the fact that you said, oh, no, you can also grab people. Uh, mm-hmm. So there, I will, I'm hoping that the two characters have actual gameplay variants that makes them feel unique to one another. It's not just like, well, instead of blinking, now you grab and go over there. You know, it's it. it yeah, it's actual difference. No, I, I do, I do uh, share that worry as well, and that hasn't been, you know, I haven't got rid of that just from this thirty minutes of playing. Because yeah. when you think of Dishonored, when I started playing it versus how you are at the end of the game, you're so much better at it by the end because you learn how to use your powers, and it's almost like instinctual, and you learn how to c- combine them and everything. So I don't think we'll know until we actually get to play the game properly. You'll know how the different powers can chain together and everything. Um, but I'm certainly not 
disappointed after playing it. I am I'm excited to to play the full game. I will say that. Very cool. Uh, I'm very excited to play that. I think it might be my most anticipated fall release at this point. Um, I can't think of something that I'm more excited about. Although, Civilization VI, I guess. I'm just very excited about that. Um, you have been playing a lot of other stuff. What about Deus Ex? Um, I, I have kind of stopped playing that game a bit, but uh, I was enjoying my time with it. Do you? Are you a fan? Yeah, I, I really liked... Well, I really liked most of Human Revolution, except for the boss fights. Kind of like everybody, I think. Um, right. I loved I, Human Revolution. I thought it was... I, I was so into that game. And yeah, the boss fights were annoying, but so much of that game was really cool and, and fun improvisationally. Like, you mm-hmm. figuring... A lot like Dishonored, in fact. Um, yes. Yeah. I Go agree. I, I think Deus Ex is... Um, Mankind Divided is also, is also good. I, I can't put my finger on why it hasn't grabbed me quite in the same way that Human Revolution did. I still think there's no denying that it, it is a, a wonderfully built game. Like, it feels great. It's very, very slick. All, you know, I mean, I'm playing on, on the gaming PC. And it's running at lovely 60 frames, and it looks it looks gorgeous. It really does. Because it's super easy to play games on a gaming PC. It's so easy. Only yeah. a moron wouldn't be able to figure it out. <laughs> I know. Uh, although I am using Steam, so it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. But, but yeah, I... I the story, I think, is good as well. I, I mean, I found this with Human Revolution as well, but I think I overlooked it because the, the, the setting was so good in Human Revolution. And it's the same setting, but it's not new this time, you know? Um, but the whole mechanical apartheid thing is, is a wonderful setting. It's really interesting. Um, but I think I have certain issues with Mankind Divided. I think the dialogue is pretty terrible throughout. Like, it's really cheesy. People don't talk like they talk in, in Mankind Divided, I would say that. And it, and it's a shame because the overarching story is really complicated and there's lots of intrigue and you're like, oh, are these guys, are they setting me up or are they not? And I love all that stuff. Um, but I do think the dialogue lets it down. And also some of the animations, the kind of uh, the voice syncing animations with the cutscenes is also a bit poor. Mm. And that becomes a problem for me because you do spend a lot of time um, speaking to people in this game. That's, that's part of the gameplay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think those two aspects let it down. I, I kind of relate it a little bit to The Witcher. I mean, I love The Witcher, and the voice acting for the most part is is excellent, except for The Witcher. Everybody, and, and you hear him the most. He's always talking, and he's so the, the direction that they decided to go with that main character. And it's the same thing with uh, what's his name in Deus Ex. Um, that they're it's so I'm just talking like the, the gravelly guy. It's like, come on, man! Get, get, I, I have to listen to you the most. So please make that the most interesting person to listen to. But congrats oh, I, on those VO jobs, Jeff. You knocked him out uh, of the park. Yeah, really, you nailed them. You really did it good. I, know, I, I think Geralt is a lot more interesting than, than Jensen, Jensen, whoever he is. Um, yeah. You don't have a problem with Geralt's voice? I Man, it bothers me. I don't know. It, it's, he's, not, he's not the best. I mean, you compare it with like the, the characters in games like The Last of Us and the voice acting from there. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't match up. But... I don't know. I, I think I think he's got a humor. He's got a sense of humor. Geralt has a sense of humor. Adam Jensen does not know what a sense of humor is, <laughs> and that is he doesn't have that augment. A, yeah, Jensen wouldn't know a sense of humor if he punched it in the face, <laughs> which he often does. Yeah, he does. Uh, <laughs> so uh, 
weeks ago, we were trying to get you on the show to talk about No Man's Sky because you did a bunch of videos uh, all around the release of No Man's Sky. Uh, that didn't happen, but we've got you now. And it feels a lot like No Man's Sky has kind of dropped off a cliff of um, discussion. Um, oh. What are your feelings on No Man's Sky? Uh, do, are you still playing it? Uh, not really. Um, my feelings are complicated on the West guy. Like, I was so oh, I was so full of excitement, and but I, I should I should probably say um, just to clarify, I have met Sean Murray on a bunch of occasions, and um, if I saw him, you know, in a pub, we'd have a lovely chat, and I think he's a really nice person. So that is probably going to cloud some of the things I say. So just putting that out there. Um, but uh, I, was, yeah, I was pretty disappointed, mainly but there were, I think the reasons I was disappointed, maybe slightly different from other people. I was disappointed because I was promised this, um, like almost literally promised this thing that was more scientifically accurate than it is. Now, you may say, oh, that, that's a stupid thing to be annoyed about, Cameron. And I'd say, well, hold on a minute, because that part of why I was so excited about No Man's Sky was being in that world, the universe, sorry, the galaxy. Okay, and then learning the fact that you can't even fly to the sun, and that the planets don't revolve around the sun, and it makes me just start to doubt all of the other intricacies that are allegedly in that algorithm that create the game. Um, but I think without without going into too much blathering on, as I can I can definitely do, um, I think overall I think it's a I think it's an interesting game. I don't think it's a great game. I think it could be a good game with a few updates and fixes. But I think it's an important game. I think a big patch because came out today. Today. Or yeah. Yeah, just today. I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. So, again, bear that in mind if you've been playing with a patch and, and suddenly you can go around the sun or get towards it. And then I am sorry for that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it is important because it's, it's showing what you can do with that and what a small team can do with that sort of technology. Um, and it's sh- and it's shown the appetite for games like that. Like that's what I still think is great about No Man's Sky is it shows the appetite that people have for something that is a bit different, for something that is is has a sense of exploration, that something that is completely unique in video games at the moment. At least I would I would argue it is. And I, you can definitely see the similarities with you know maybe Star Citizen or with Elite Dangerous, but but there is something special about No Man's Sky that I really hope the next game that takes on that approach of procedurally generating places to play in, and I know it's not the first, I know lots of other games have done it, but it did it differently. Um, I'm excited to see what the next game does, not necessarily from Hello Games, but from whoever takes up that mantra that I think No Man's Sky has, has given. Agreed. Yeah, no, I think that's well put. Uh, Christian, your playlist uh, involves a couple of games that you have completed. Yeah, I, I always try. I do not always succeed, and I have. Um, I always try to play my favorite of the year contenders to completion. You know, credit completion or whatever I kind of consider completion for that game. I think Pac Man Championship Edition was rightfully made a list one year, and I, you know, there's no completing that game because i'm not good enough to i I am now top of the leaderboards in all modes (laughs) i can put this game down but when it's a story-based game i I try and there have been years where i didn't finish a game and i still gave it a favorite of the game favorite you know top five nod um i imagine i disclosed that but i don't remember uh i always make it an effort and so i have you know there's this lull or you know these weeks in between 
big releases that I'm hyped for where I'm diving in and trying to finish games. And this past week, I finished Ratchet and Clank on the PS4, and I finished um, oh come on, Brain Doom Doom on PC. I played on PC, and um, both of those games. Uh, I'm curious if you finished them, Jeff, and if you did. I'm curious if you had to do the same thing I did. On Ratchet and Clank, I lowered the difficulty to easy or whatever. I don't know if there's five difficulties. I think there's three. Um, to easy after I tried the last boss, I think it was six times and felt like I wasn't getting close enough uh, to not feel frustrated. So I lowered to easy to, to beat the last boss. And then in Doom, I think it was maybe the last fifth of the game, I lowered it to easy where I was just... I know I talked about when I was playing that game before, and I was like, yeah, you know, I know people say it's hard, but I haven't died yet. Like, I feel like until I went back to Earth, so minor spoilers for that game. You start on Earth, and you go to Hell, or Mars, or wherever. Then you go to Hell, then you go back to Mars, or, you know, whatever it is. Not Hell, but Hell has taken over. When I got Wait, back... Wait, where'd you go? I'm so confused. <laughs> to, uh, that description. Okay, so oh, yeah, you, yeah, so... You start... Is it Mars or Earth? I think it's Mars. It's Mars, right? You start yeah, on Mars, Mars, then you go to Hell, then you okay. come back to Mars. Right. But Hell has taken over Mars. Gotcha. Then you go back to Hell, then you go back, and then you're, <laughs> and then it's yeah, it doesn't make sense. But there's a point after you have gone to Hell when you come back to Mars when Hell has taken over that uh, I was like, oh, this game is getting hard. I am dying a lot. So I think it was the last fifth of the game. I lowered it to easy. And, um, or what hurt me less or whatever, you know, how Doom makes fun of you for <laughs> the difficulty yeah. levels. I'm a baby. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm bad at video games. It's like a picture yeah. of you sucking your thumb. Um, I, so both of those games are still soundly on my favorites of 2016 list. There are still games I could see knock, you know, shaking things up a bit that have yet to come out. Um, Ratchet and Clank is incredible. If you have not played that game, it is, I think, Insomniac at its best, like, doing what they do so well and it's such a great update to that original game the last boss battle was frustratingly hard i had people um tweeting at me saying oh you clearly didn't unlock the reiner or you know like the ultra gun you can get by collecting the cards and i was like yeah i clearly didn't didn't you see the part where i said i lowered it to easy (laughs) but phenomenal game uh i know i hope we get to this email because we got a great email about boss battles but i would say a, a frustrating boss battle that doesn't represent uh, um, uh, some of the amazing gaming moments of that game where I feel like that's what I want in those final moments is a thing like the way Cam described Dishonored like as you play that game you utilize your tools and skills and your powers better so the, uh, you get this culmination of all the things you've done Ratchet and Clank I felt like it was like here's a very difficult boss battle in using game mechanics that isn't things that you've learned over the course of the game it was just a, a bullet sponge guy that's going to be annoying mm-hmm. um, and then doom on the other hand while it got harder i think i have a stream of it where i say this and stream on my twitch and youtube where it's like i am dying a lot right now but it's not the game's fault it's mine like my skill isn't there to do this and i know other gamers got through this just fine um but i feel like that game it's progress even its last boss battles. I feel like that game, the way it progresses, builds you to this thing that you're going to be expecting this tough as nails, huge mega demon encounter. And when you get it, you're like, oh, game on, Doom, and you crack your knuckles a few times and you plow through. Both incredible games. My question to you, Jeff, have you finished them and what difficulty did you finish them at? I have not finished Doom. I I 
got very, very far, uh, but I have not finished Doom. Uh, Ratchet and Clank, I used what I like to call the nephew cheat. That's where you get to a point and your nephews come over for the weekend and they have a game they want to play and you let them play Ratchet and Clank and then they finish it for you. <laughs> so uh, I watched my, my two nephews uh, complete, pick up where I left off on Ratchet and Clank. Because like, I don't want you to reset my progress. Just play from where I was. <laughs> what difficulty so then, did they beat the game? Is it just like that I'm too old? Yeah, definitely. Nice. The, those kids, Those kids, dude, they will beat their head against the wall. The, the last game that they beat for me, honestly, was Knack. Okay, and also difficult. The end of Knack it gets a little beat your head against the wall too, but because they're 10 and 6, they don't care. They'll just keep doing it over and over and over again, and you just because you're letting them play video games, they're excited. So, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't actually get to finish uh, Ratchet & Clank, but it did serve as a, a wonderful activity for my nephews when they were when they were visiting and beautiful watch cam have you played either of these games and and in general i think i might just have accepted i mentioned this with uncharted 4 there was one chapter where i wish i played on easy i think i'm maybe just 35 and i enjoy my video games like i enjoy um everything else in life easy uh over easy <laughs> what am i looking for like my eggs um mm-hmm. i don't know cam where where are you on like difficulty spikes and, and on, on these games in particular i guess so yeah i played the beginning of doom um, I, I didn't stop for any particular reason other than, well, so basically what happened is, um, my business partner is Seb, so we like run a production company together as well as doing a YouTube channel. He went on holiday, which meant I got to look after our nice gaming PC while he was away. And, um, I was about to play Doom on console where I have it when I bought it. And I was like, wait a minute, I should probably play on PC. So I've played like the first maybe 20 minutes on Xbox. Um, and, uh, I was really enjoying it. Um, I'm not very good at it but i hope i could get better like it's been a while since i've played a really fast a really fast shooter like that um so i would like to i would like to jump back into that game um i don't know if it'll get better it gets i mean rightfully so but it gets like i feel like doom the quote for that game is hey remember that enemy you hate you hate facing and when you kill one you're like oh thank god i don't have to face them anymore the game's like oh congrats here's 20 and you're like Now that's the normal enemy you're facing. Yeah. The yeah. previous level's big bad is now just random fodder in this level. Yeah. Yeah. That, that does have the impact of making you feel like you're getting better, though, right? Because you're like, these yeah. guys are, they used to be hassle. Now they're nothing to me. Um, so, but yeah, I haven't played any Ratchet & Clank, I'm afraid. That's a series that has completely passed me by. But oh, hearing, so good, dude. hearing you talk about it has really made me think I should, I should give that a go. Um, it's been a while since I've played that type of game. But yeah, I will definitely go back to Doom. In terms of difficulty spikes, I think for me, it really depends on the game. I'm like, I'm quite good at some games. I'm just ludicrously bad at others. So I think it just really depends on it. Um, like The Witcher, um, I'm Witcher 3, I'm okay at. Like I play that on, I generally like to play games on normal kind of thing or maybe hard. And then usually I scale it back when I get a bit scared. Um, but Dishonored 1 is like the only game I have where I beat it on the hardest difficulty, like 100% of it. Like that's that's the one game I got. I felt like I was actually good at. Mm. Um, but I I I don't mind. Like I I really I like the way difficulty levels are now. You can really pick and choose, and there's no shame. Don't worry. There's no shame in playing on easy. That's fine. Christian is a big fan of the no shame on easy. No shame on easy is his uh, 
This is first rap album. I, it's, I love it. I, there, I, I don't, there is no shame that the guilt or the thought is like that, the old three, four, three, you know, idea for Halo is like, Hey, it's meant to be played on. Like I want to experience the rich and detailed AI routines. I don't want guys that are just, you know, sitting at a wall, like kill me. Like that's not fun. So I, it's like that game. And I feel like doom did it. I still had a lot of fun on doom when I, when I lowered it down to, I'm a big baby pants. Look at me. I'm such a baby, baby. Um, and that game I thought played well. There have been games where I get frustrated and I turn it to easy and the enemies are just like, I will stand facing this wall now. Please do not kill me. And you're <laughs> yeah, like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to, in deference to Christian, we will uh, not do a VR talk segment this week. Um, I just feel like that's appropriate. Uh, you can talk but... about the Vive all you want or how we're hyped for PlayStation VR. I think the thing yeah. that PlayStation VR is doing smartly, I don't think it will make VR a huge hit, but PlayStation VR is seems to be using VR modes or VR experiences in major franchises, and I'm curious, and we can talk about this when it comes out, but I'm curious why uh, the Vive and Oculus haven't done this. Like, PlayStation VR, you know, they're touting Batman, Star Wars, which I know the other ones now have Star Wars. So leveraging their Sony-ness. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, I think this conversation we were just having uh, leads right into this great email that I want to read. Uh, this comes from Alex. I don't know if he wants us to say his actual uh, last name, but... Last week, Christian, we were talking about – you brought up this idea of boss fights and why for so long they've been bad, like the last boss. And we were talking about Bioshock, the Bioshock Collection remaster, and we were talking about the first Bioshock and how great a game it is. But then that last boss in the very end of the game is like, what? what? This feels like it's from a different game. This is dumb. Uh, and we were talking, uh, wondering why that was. And you actually said, "Hey, if there's any, if there are any devs out there who can give us some insight into that, we'd love to hear from you." Well, Alex is such a dev. He wrote this email. Uh, I think it it plays right into what we were talking about. He says, "Hi, Jeff and Christian, longtime listener, first time emailer. I have followed you fine fellows since the weekend confirmed days, and our mutual friend Garnett. Uh, I wanted to take a moment to offer my input on Christian's comment about final boss fights and offer my thoughts on why they turn out bad. I'm knocking on the door of 20 years in the business, and I've worked on several action-adventure games, including Two Medievals, Primal, Heavenly Sword, and A Brace of God of Wars. It's like all my, some of my favorite games. Like this, very thank you for games. listening to the show, and thank you for the hours of entertainment you have provided. Indeed. <laughs> Incredible. He says, uh, in, his, in, in my experience, it comes down to three major factors. Factor one, lack of time. On God of War, we would often leave the first encounter until last to give us time to understand the game, the mechanics, and the tools in order to give us the best way to introduce them to the player. When you get to this point in development and you're choosing between committing resources to the Gaia opening, for example, or the Zeus finale, and there's always a point where you have to make those kinds of tough decisions, it's a simple choice. On Primal, we literally designed and implemented the final boss fight in the period between beta and release. Second major factor... Narrative weight. Games that culminate in a final boss fight are invariably games with strong linear narratives. These, inevitably, add undue pressure to that final encounter. The player expects the appropriate denouement of the story they have invested multiple hours in. Combine this 
with point one, and you have a recipe for disaster. The final boss on God of War 3 was as good as it was through sheer force of will of those involved, rather than an abundance of time and resources. On Heavenly Sword, we fell back on minigame mechanics, which, although time-consuming on the animation side, were relatively light on the design side. Factor 3. Grim Realities. During my time making video games, I have often heard the statement, most people don't finish the games they start. I believe something in the, reg uh, in the region of 75% of people, in fact. These days, with even more endless games, whose goal it is to improve your skill rather than simply complete the finite narrative, and multiple entertainment sources competing for your attention, I would wager that figure is even higher. So again, when trying to decide on whether to assign your team's inevitably finite resources, it's hard to justify making that final boss fight all it can be when you have a Gaia and a Kronos and a Hercules, for example, that the majority of the people will see. In my experience, these have been the major hurdles in trying to wrap any linear narrative game up. I would propose that it's never lack of desire, lack of ideas, or lack of imagination, but rather through far more mundane and boring realities of time and people. I hope my experience helps shed a little light on a few of the issues involved. Making games is far more complicated and messy than I think people realize, and it's great to have discussions about some of these issues to help shed light on why games turn out the way they do. So, Alex, thank you so much. That is exactly the kind of feedback we were looking for. And it really does, uh, it really does reveal, I think, things that we suspect you know, you always imagine, yeah, you always hear about lack of time, lack of resources as being a big factor, but also the way things are prioritized in the design process, in the in the process of making the game, I think is actually smart. Yeah, you do want to kind of wait and make the beginning at the end of the process so that gamers have a more uh, robust beginning that shows them all of the facets that will come into play throughout the, the rest of the game. And yeah, I mean, if you're talking about running up against finite time and finite resources and 75% of the people aren't going to see this end bit, you probably deprioritize that end bit. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I listened to that email and it sounded like a bunch of excuses if you ask. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and I was like, blah, blah, blah. We are lazy. Blah, blah. No. Um, I, I totally understand that. And it, what an incredible email. Um, it's, I, I get it. And I think the hard part is too, is that, Unfortunately, where you know only twenty five percent or less people see the ends of games, and for Jeff and Ratchet and Clank, it was literally just seeing the end of the game. Um, <laughs> and for me, sometimes it's not even that. I don't even have nephews to to show me the end of the game. Uh, <laughs> gotta get some nephews, bro. I got I got to get some nephews. I have nephews. They're just I'm way better at games than them. Um, <laughs> uh, um, it, it stinks because so few people, I guess, apparently see the ending, but. In our online culture, a bad ending could become the thing, right? Like, people talked a lot of smack about um, Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor's ending, which I personally loved because I felt like that game, you became so overpowered that you got to the, the last few bosses and you were just like, yeah, step up to the champ, you're going to get hit, you know? <laughs> you just walked right. through some dudes, which I really liked. But I feel like that ending, there were articles about it in, in this click economy we live in, everybody trying to take their shot at it. So I could see that that would dissuade people from even playing the game, uh, and of course then not get to the end, but it's a thing that no one was going to get to anyway, and now you're not going to buy this otherwise amazing game because of this thing. So if you heard, I don't want to fall into that, if you heard me say the final boss of Ratchet & Clank on PS4 was a disappointment for me, please still go play that game 
because you likely won't see them. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the game is so good. Uh, please play that game. But I understand all of those problems, and, and me as the consumer, I still wish that you could. There was some magic, uh, you know, Tinkerbell dust I could sprinkle on it and, and turn endings good. Because when a game does end well, it's such a beautiful thing, right? It's like such beautiful oh, yeah. wrapping on this present. For me, The Last of Us spoke to me in such a way because of its ending, Journey's ending, which is a short game, I know. But that game was beautiful, but the way it ended was so powerful. Um, Metal Gear, was it 3? I think it's Metal Gear 3, where that game comes together, and it's a brutal Red Dead fight. Redemption's ending. Yeah, so those moments are so yeah. great that I, I wish everything could be that, while realizing of course it can't. Cam, what about you? What's your What's your take on this? I mean, I think that guy said everything. Yeah, <laughs> he said yeah. everything that I could possibly say and much better. Um, but I think this is the, also the, the other thing is like finishing a story is hard. You know, like movie endings are frequently crap. Right. So, so are TV shows. Like I think just ending a narrative is the hardest bit. Yeah. People in the chat room are bringing up uh, Halo Championship Edition's ending, which I agree. That Warthog chase is awesome. Combat Evolved. Half- Combat Evolved. What did I say? Championship <laughs> Edition? <laughs> It's where you can play as the flood. It's, it's really good. I saw CE and my brain went into autopilot. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Half-Life 2, people are talking about. Agreed. The uh, end of Half-Life 2 with the blue gravity gun is one of the best endings ever. Uh, I already mentioned Red Dead Redemption, which I think is great. Um, yeah. Inside, somebody mentioned Inside. I agree. The ending of Inside is very satisfying. Uh, yeah. So, so it, it there are things to do it. Yeah. yeah, but it's hard. And people say, yeah, yeah, ending of movies or long-running TV shows can often be, you know, frustrating and difficult. And I, I agree. I'm sure it is very difficult to pull off. Maybe what we should do then instead of me, like, saying, oh, the final boss of Ratchet & Clank was a little frustrating, whatever, I need to spend more time praising the awesome ending. So when I get to a game that ends well, I will spend more time championing that than uh, throwing others under the bus. But I agree with you that a bad ending doesn't necessarily – destroy a great experience like i think bioshock i still i don't even think of the ending when i think of bioshock you know that the i think of the high point of the finding out you know that first time you meet andrew ryan and finding out the big reveal in that game and all that's like those are those moments that i take away and you know fighting uh big daddies and stuff that last boss fight it doesn't really come into play when i even think about it Bioshock ends at the second turn like that's the end of the game right in your mind that's the end of the game Pretty much, yeah. Um, all right, so it's a very interesting discussion. And again, uh, you can send emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com like Alex did. We appreciate getting your emails and incorporating them into the show. All right, let us carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit of board gaming. Um, Cam, you had something that you wanted to talk about in Tabletop Time. Well, it was more to ask you guys if you had played this game. So basically, I'm, I don't play many board games, but I do enjoy them when I do play them. Um, and usually it involves whenever I go back to Edinburgh, which is where I'm from, and I have a group of friends up there who play them, and I kind of join in, and, like, and I'm like, teach me, teach me now. I'm that really annoying one who doesn't really know what's going on. Um, but I was uh, I was hanging out with um, one of the guys behind. Have you ever come across the website as uh, Saddleback 
Shut Up and Sit Down. Ah, uh, one of my favorites. Quince has been on the show uh, as a guest. He's a great dude. Those guys are fantastic. Yeah. I heartily recommend Shut Up and Sit Down. Yes, so uh, so Matt Lees, who is one of the guys behind it as well, mm-hmm. um, I was uh, actually running a tough mutter with him just yesterday, and we, I was asking him all about um, all about like what games we'd be playing. Games and he and was talk- Yeah, exactly, right. And yeah. he was talking about Torchbearer, and I don't know if anyone's been playing Torchbearer, um, but it, his description of it to me made it sound amazing. The uh, role playing um, game, right? The uh, yeah, top role playing game. Exactly. Yeah. So he, the way he described it was. I mean, really, you should just have Matt on the show instead of me at this point. But he's not, so I will soldier on. But basically, the way he described it is it was like Dungeons & Dragons, except it made sense in the fact that there was narrative reason behind why people choose to delve into these caves in search of loot. Um, And and the kind of the reason behind it is that the world that these people live in is pretty desolate. And the only people who would take on those risks are people who are desperate. So the kind of characters that you take on are always like really kind of down and out, desperate, got nothing to lose type of people, which adds like a really interesting narrative spin on on the whole experience. Um, so I was just wondering if anyone in the chat or either of you guys had played this game and could tell me more about it. I'm very excited to try it. I have not tried it. This is based on the Burning Wheel uh uh, rule set that has won a bunch of awards and has been around for a little while. Uh, Burning Wheel, I have been flirting with trying. It, it's very intimidating. Um, this is like Dungeons and Dragons times ten as far as uh, density of rule set. But everyone says that if you can sort of grok it, it it's worth it. And I guess uh, Torchbearer, from what I've heard, and again, I actually heard about it because of the shut up and sit down guys were raving about it as well um i guess it is an offshoot of burning wheel that adds some things and simplifies other things and it's from the same guys that made uh the burning wheel uh rule set this is really fascinating sounding and there's every little thing is simulated so you literally have to like take care of your guys they they will get tired they will need to eat they will have um, wounds that persist. It's not video gamey. It's not even Dungeons & Dragons-y in the sense that, you know, things happen and then you move on to the next thing and you kind of forget the stuff that happened before. This is very much a simulation of what it might be like to have to survive as an adventurer and you have to a- account for all the stuff you're carrying and where you're putting it on your person and uh, if if your guys uh, just just sort of surviving out of doors is hard, let alone fighting stuff. Um, so it sounds really fascinating and uh, you know very intense. But I would I'm very keen to try it, especially with hearing such rave reviews from those guys. Um, and there's all these you know there's all these there's a belief system. Evidently, I heard Quinn's talking about the belief system um, where your character has like a strong belief that you get incentivized to do things that reinforce the belief, but then later on you get incentivized to do things that are counter to the belief. So it, the game creates a situation where your character starts doubting his own beliefs because he's been adventuring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, It sounds fascinating and I'm, I'm anxious to try it. I'm glad you brought it up because, um, Another, another thing Matt was mentioning was that um, the loot you find is much more, well, 
is more believable. You know, it's not like, ah, here's a perfect golden amulet that you can sell for as much money as you want. It's more like he, he was explaining they found like a, a really nice rug, which <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, at a really a really fancy table um, right. for some reason. And then, but the table was too heavy, so they had to clear out all the bad guys before they could try and lug this table and spend <laughs> like two weeks getting it to the town to set. It and, like real world problems that you would encounter right. um but i think that i mean if you're gonna that just to me adds a lot more um so yeah i'm hoping that matt's gonna start playing and i can i can uh, join in cool i'd love to I... have you report back with, or yeah talk to him again that's yeah, called sure. torchbearer um i want to talk about an experience that i had people have heard me rave and rave about time stories which is has become sort of a surrogate for Dungeons and Dragons at this point. The team, the group that I usually play Dungeons and Dragons with, we've sort of turned exclusively to time stories uh, because it doesn't require a DM. All of us can participate and uh, it's been great. I mean, the system is so brilliant. This is the game about um, jumping back in time, trying to solve puzzles and, and go through combat and figure out why you're, you know, being recalled back in time before you run out of time and are sucked back into the future and then you have to try it again and you go, you know, return back in time armed with the knowledge from the first go-round. It's a fascinating system and it really is a system. It's a, you buy the board game box and then you add these modules to it. Each module you only play once because it has surprises and puzzles that you figure out as a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. And you only really play it once because that has spoiled when you're done. But then a new module is released. And they're releasing these modules every few months. And we've played all of them. I've talked about them on the show. Hopefully people have heard. But at this point, we're up to date and we've played all of them. Except there's a really cool thing. Space Cowboys, the guys that make Time Stories, have published a way for people to write their own modules. So there are a bunch of fan-made ones. And I have to thank... Uh, Darren Reckner, he played one of these fan-made modules. This is, this is a module that was written by Stephanie Pierce, just a fan of the game who decided to write a module. Uh, he played this module called Switching Gears, and he liked it so much, he contacted me. I guess his friend uh, Jim Tullett said, you got to send this to Jeff at, at DLC because he loves time stories. So he sent it to me. He printed it out himself. This is just a fan-made mod. He like printed it out himself. Uh, and had such a great time. He's like, you got to try it. So yesterday, my Time Stories team got together, and we played through Switching Gears. It's excellent. It's kind of astounding that this was made by a fan because it is as high quality. In fact, a couple of our uh, the players that I play with, Alex Albrecht was one who said uh, he thinks it's the best one he's played, the best module, better than any of the official Time Stories mods. Um, I don't know if I put it that high, but it's up there. It's better than several of the official ones. And it's so cool because you can just print it out yourself and it's, you know, it's intense to print it out yourself. In fact, it's kind of hard because it's a spoiler to print it out. So I'm very fortunate that it was just sent to me because I got to delve in, you know, without having to assemble it or look at it. But the idea here is that you're going back into like the 1880s into this, this town and you're trying to figure out what's going on in this town and there's weird disappearances and stuff. All, you know, cobbled together. It's like uh, Google image search images that are used and some of the art is better than others. But man, the puzzles are so brilliantly done. The very difficult puzzles. 
puzzles where we were just sitting around with a pen and paper like we can get this we can figure this out um and really well crafted storyline lots of interesting stuff to do it is a phenomenal module it's called switching gears uh kind of steampunky a little bit i guess but not really um I'm just so impressed that a, a one person, Stephanie Pierce, could make this, could execute it on, with, at such a high level, and it shows that this this system, this time story system, really has legs. And I think uh, if more and more people can do this, it's it's going to make the game last even longer. It's pretty cool stuff. All right, so that's going to do it for uh, this episode. We do have a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But let me thank Cam Robinson for being here. I uh, really appreciate it, man. How can people find out about your work on the internet? Sure. They can uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cam Um So basically, uh, I run a production company. But we also do a YouTube channel, which is kind of based off uh, the show that myself and my business partner, Seb, used to do at GameSpot, which was a uh, top five Skyrim mods of the week. We now have our own uh, YouTube channel, which is just Cam and Seb. So if you want to come and see what we're doing, Coming to Cam and said, we have a video where we sat and played No Man's Sky with a real-life exobiologist. And that was real interesting because he was basically dropping lots of science. And it was, uh, it was really interesting. Awesome. So come check us out at Cam and Seb. Very cool. Christian, what do you got going on this week? If you're listening live or this Monday when it comes out, I'll be at the Comedy Store tonight. But there's also more important things to be watching, I think, tonight. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then speaking of D&D, this Thursday I'm going back over to Jash. Um, I think their Twitch is just Jash Play um, to play more Aristocrats, which is their comedic it's, you know, D&D, a, a version, a fifth edition of D&D. It's kind of scaled down to be played in three hours and um, with a bunch of comics. Last time I'm, I'm bringing my character back. Last time I, I we've completed our quest and I walked away with a powerful piece of dragon dung. So I, I'm excited to see how I get to use that again. <laughs> Um, but that'll be Thursday on their Twitch, I believe, is when it will go out. And then I've teased about it, but now I have, like, a, a poster for it. So it's, like, for real official. But it's a great poster. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, well, split scared, too. <laughs> if you're in or near or can be in or near San Diego on Tuesday, November 15th, um, I'm taking a run at recording the next album. And um, it's currently it's We're All Gonna Die, which if you know me, <laughs> you know, it's been a theme of mine for forever. And uh, if you want to see the poster, the easiest way, I have it posted on my site, which is just christianspicer.com. But uh, it's cool. I'm not sure if that will be the album art yet. I have another idea for album art that I'm playing with. But, of course, that's the cart in front of the horse. This re- the recording needs to go well. There's a you know always a very real chance with live comedy albums that you do the show, you record the album, and then it never comes out because, like crafting the end to a video game, um, <laughs> getting the perfect comedy recording or one that you're happy with, um, as a person and then as an artist <laughs> it doesn't happen um but anyway november 15th san diego um we're all gonna die and that's, that's a great title i love it, it. well thanks yeah, that is awesome <laughs> very cool i'm i'm see if i can make it down there i don't know it'll be might be difficult but uh i would love to be in attendance uh as far as my stuff this week you can always listen to the slash filmcast we're going to be talking about magnificent seven this week you can find that slashfilm.com or slashfilmcast.com. Also, We Have Concerns is back to its regularly programmed schedule after my little absence. Um, And uh, you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. Some fun episodes coming up this week, so check those out. And uh, that's going to do it. Uh, Let's 
jump into our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. All right, Cam, you got something that you can give people to get them through their week? Sure can. So um, I've been, uh, I actually read it a while ago, but I'm, I'm rereading it at the moment because uh, it's just so good. Um, if anyone has ever heard of the book, The Lies of Locke Lamora, have either yes. of you guys read that? I have. It's great. It is fantastic. It's part one of, I don't know how many, and yet he's also writing another one, but this wonderfully named Gentleman Bastard series. And uh, it is, like I read quite a lot of fantasy stuff and it is my favorite by a long shot. I just think the characterization is fantastic you like the, the people are so distinct is writing uh, I, the name of the author escapes me right now um i could probably google it but um but yeah it's it's a he's it's just a fantastic book i cannot recommend it strongly enough if you're into fantasy scott um, lynch scott lynch that's the one and he's an incredibly young guy as well for writing uh, for writing so well Uh-oh, how um, rich so is he? I have no idea. Let's hope he. I don't know if he supports hate groups, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say no, he doesn't. Okay. Ooh. A lot of people have described um, Lies of Locke Lamora as like Ocean's Eleven in a fantasy world, and yes, I think that's kind of an apt description. It's 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 really good. He also does a wonderful thing of uh, he tells the story by jumping between different timelines, but he weaves it so well. You know, so um, you're always like the chapters will often certainly in, in the the first book, which is called Lies of Locke Lamora, it jumps from one uh, time point to, to the other. But it leaves you just wanting at the end of the chapter, you're like, no, I want to keep going with this story. But then it picks up with the other timeline and you're like, oh, yes, no, wait, this bit was really interesting, too. Um, so and it tells them in parallel, you know, and just giving you the little tidbits of information whenever you need them. Uh, and the, the kind of world that he has built is full of, of intrigue. It's kind of like Game of Thrones in the fact that there is, you know, there's magic in certain ways, but it's not, it's not, you know, pervasive in the, in the world. It's kind of there in the background to a degree. Um, so, yeah, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And yeah. if you're, if you don't, if you prefer to listen or read with your ears, as I call it, then yeah, the audiobook is also really good. That's actually how I, uh, how I listen to it. I listened to it while I was running. Um, your Lies nephew of read it to you? Yes. <laughs> it's terrible because he, you know, He's very slow. <laughs> uh, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah, so this is a small sample size and maybe the first of several examples or another example of several of me being a hypocrite of maybe supporting art from um, bad leaders maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> even, though, even though things have changed. You, you already know the punchline, Jeff, which is why you're laughing. But um, recently, as trade has opened up with Cuba – I have had on three occasions Cuban coffee. I don't know anything about it other than that two were at artsy places in LA and they're like, hey, we have Cuban coffee. Do you want to try? And I was like, sure, I'm at an artsy coffee place. Delicious. And then at home, I do a Nespresso Americano as my um, addiction of choice in the mornings. And they now have um, capsules that are at Cuban coffee from Cuba, not, you know, like Cuban style. And it also is delicious. So I, I'm three for three with really. Does it- does it help you wash down the hypocrisy? Uh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm. Th- Christian uh, wants to recommend the Hitler art book that he's been. <laughs> hey, this is different. These are people that have been oppressed under. A, no, you're right. It's um, very different. Jeff, 
I'm just joking. Don't point out to me when I'm an idiot. That is my job to yell at you. <laughs> the show has a dynamic, okay? Um. <laughs> my my pole pot uh, pot pots and pans that I enjoy. Anyway, anyway, the best way to enjoy it I found is while playing your Oculus Rift and getting yeah. a tattoo on your back that says. I'm the hugest hypocrite ever, and I bookended this show <laughs> no. with my own hypocrisy. So. <laughs> I don't think uh, we, should, we should equate Cuba with, with uh, hate. No, much worse. <laughs> what Fidel has done is much worse than, than, than what – and he has years of, of a legacy to prove how bad it has been. Um, yeah. But, yes, please send all of your hate and – Feel free to fund the creation of memes. Oh, they, of they've me already stopped idiot. listening. They've already unsubscribed, Christian. It's fine. Good, 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 um, good. I would like to uh, recommend a new Netflix show that I wasn't sure I should even watch, uh, and then I did, and I was glad I did. Uh, it's called Easy. I don't know if you guys have heard of this one. I hadn't heard of it until I st- turned it on. It's an anthology show, uh, which is strange. It's an anthology, like, half-hour comedy show, uh, which, what? Have... Has it ever been a thing? I don't know if it has. Uh, anthology meaning each episode is different characters in a different story. Um, so sort of like Twilight Zone or you know Black Mirror or something. But as a like sort of quirky, uh, down-home, comedic slice-of-life show. <laughs> it's, it reminded me almost of a book of short stories. And they're all sort of loosely related around relationships. And um, they all take place in Chicago. I, I like them. Some are better than others. Uh, I watched, I don't know, five or six of them last night just back-to-back as my baby was sleeping on my chest. And uh, they have a bunch of famous actors that you recognize in them because they only had to do one episode of a half-an-hour show. Uh, you know, Mark Maron's in one. And uh, you know, it's it's fun. It's a, it's a, I enjoyed it. Um, again, some of, some of them are better than others, but they're very eclectic, different stories, you know, from, you know... Uh, a couple that's had kids for 15 years to like this Spanish speaking young couple that's trying to uh, conceive to um, a lesbian couple to, and it's like all kinds of different stories. So it's uh, interesting. It's all easy and it's on Netflix. I recommend it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We really appreciate you listening and uh, also have to thank Patrick L. Sean Madigan, zero star for contributing music to the show. We really appreciate that. Uh, Thanks to Cam Robinson and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room for making the show better by being here and contributing to the discussion in real time. And thanks to all of you for downloading. Please do take a second, rate us highly on your platform of choice and even better maybe don't do a review like after this week's episode yeah we're gonna get a lot of bad reviews this week that's why i had to mention it because if you like our show if you've lasted this long (laughs) chances are you'll give us a good review we're gonna get a bunch of terrible terrible one-star reviews you're welcome guys this happens when you let me come on no and it had nothing to do with you i think it was solely on my shoulders my shoulders that are rightfully now tattooed with i'm a big hypocrite (laughs) (laughs) um Anyway, so even better than that, recommend the show to a friend. Help us spread the word, and and, uh, we would very much appreciate it. Okay. You know what? Even more this week, I will emphasize the way we always end our episode. Uh, Please do take it to heart. Don't just think about it. Actually do it. Because I'm trying real hard. I know I called Paul Malecki a garbage person this week. (laughs) So uh, maybe I need to take it to heart even more, but think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place.